This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. Welcome, everyone, to another podcast of uh, Thacker Slate, and we're really pleased to have with us today Dan Morales of North Point Bank, who's going to talk to us about refinancing. What do you do when you are um, keeping the house and you want to refinance it and you have to pay your spouse off in the divorce process, or frankly, you're just uh, receiving child support or spousal support? and you need to qualify for a loan to buy your home. How do you do that? What's the best way to go about it? So, Dan, hey, thanks for joining us. Allison's here as well, too. So why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience and give them a little bit of background about what you do in the mortgage world. You bet. Uh, Dan Morales with uh, North Point Bank. I have been lending for 28 years. I don't like to think I'm that old, but I am. Uh, <laughs> been doing mortgages for a really long time, um, but uh, you know this is you know my my niche, right? There's uh, some people that are really good attorneys, like you guys, <laughs> exceptional, awesome attorneys, and then there's Why, really good you. there's really good mortgage people. That, but that's my area of specialty, and uh, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to come on and talk about this because uh, there's been some recent changes that are some good things too. So. Well, and I think you're being modest. I mean, I once bet forty thousand dollars that you could get the loan done. <laughs> yes, thank you. For and we trust. won. So we did. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did. Uh, that was going to be an expensive one. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. Well, let's talk a little bit about refinancing the home. And you, you know, what do you? If we send a client to you, what is it that you need from them? How do they put themselves in the best light to be able to get the refinancing and make sure they can get the loan? I mean, what's some sort of advice for our clients going through that process? You bet. You know, really what it comes down to is, you know, what the agreement is uh, that, you know, as far as how they're going to settle, let's say, that particular property. Uh, typically, what somebody can do is they can, you know, refinance and you can refinance and take equity out of the house and use that equity to pay off a spouse. Now, that's treated different than if you were going to take equity out of the house, you know, in the form of cash to invest in something else. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, a loan that, you know, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac buys, they treat the payoff of a spouse differently than what they do, you know, paying off a credit card or an auto loan or something hmm. like that. So it's it's actually more favorable uh-huh. because it's it's uh, the terms are more favorable in that situation as well, too. You can take a higher advance in, in that case as well. Typically, when you're paying a spouse off, though, we've got to have some kind of documentation as to what the property settlement's going to be right? so that we can show that those dollars are going to the, the spouse as part of the transaction. I never huh. knew that. I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's great information for our clients to understand that if they're going to be refinancing for a different purpose, other than paying off their spouse, then the restrictions might be a lot higher. So, yeah, and then showing the proof that the payoff is actually going to that other spouse. Um, What do you, what do you think about some of the contingent liability issues? You know, it's funny because I I just ran into this with another client. Um, So she was investigating doing a refinance to pay off the spouse. Um, didn't like the fact that, you know, the terms were different than what they had originally. You know, so it's like, well, you're going to borrow more money. So, of course, your payment is likely going to be higher, right? So that, right. that's part of the challenge. But, you know, what happens is, uh, you know, so they had some some discussion between her and her soon-to-be ex-husband. Well, maybe what we'll do is we'll just leave him on the mortgage. 
Well, that's fine. But what happens is, you know, even though as part of, let's say, a divorce settlement, you can have one party that is, you know, in charge of that property or gets that property and supposed to make the payments and so on. Well, that person, you know, the court may appoint them to make that payment. But what happens if they don't? You know, the other spouse is still on the mortgage. It's still going to report in your credit report. And even though the court has assigned that debt to someone, that doesn't trump your original loan agreement, right? Exactly. So the lender still has recourse against the other party. Right. So if you are going to remain on a mortgage with, let's say, your your ex-spouse because they didn't refinance or something like that, you should be aware of the fact that you have a contingent liability and that contingent liability can create a problem for you down the road. Well, and it probably impacts your ability to get your own mortgage later on as well. It can, absolutely, especially if the spouse that is responsible for paying that mortgage pays it late or pays it poorly, that that can be an issue. Now, with that being said, though, um, you can have a case where somebody remains liable under that mortgage and they want to buy another property. Uh, If the other, the spouse who received the property as part of the property settlement pays on time and has made the payments on time, currently, right now with today's guidelines, you wouldn't have to count that mortgage against the spouse who wasn't uh, the recipient of the property, if you will. Okay. So some advice would be if, if they're a late payer, maybe pay that mortgage yourself and then seek reimbursement <laughs> from them so that you may maintain uh, timely payments. Yeah, because because the, the, those late payments will hurt your, your credit score. Uh, they could certainly impact your ability to get another mortgage. Uh, but, you know, depending on, you know, the big picture, ideally, I would tell people I would you know, you're, you're severing that relationship, you know, ideally, I think it's probably a good idea if you can. To, Sever to, the mortgage yeah, too. Ab- absolutely. absolutely. Because, you know, otherwise you're, you're still attached to this person. The, you know, the things that person does or doesn't do can still impact you financially in ways that you, you maybe didn't plan on. And, and I can tell you, I've seen it, you know, the 28 years I've done this, I've seen it. Well, my, you know, my ex-wife was supposed to make the mortgage payment. She didn't, and she let the house go into foreclosure. Well, guess what? You know, that's bad news for you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that, so, you know, those contingent liabilities are, are a huge issue, you know, and it's one where, you know, sometimes people will step over dollars to save a dime, mm. uh, you know, and I think oftentimes, you know, if I'm the person that's not going to remain on that loan uh, I or on that property, it's not my property any longer, then you get your own mortgage, pay me off whatever you need to pay me and let me walk in and we'll call it good. Right. What kind of impact do you see in some of our clients who have not been in the workforce, you know, say I've got a stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. or stay-at-home dad. I mean, it really gender doesn't really matter anymore. We see it both ways. Um, what kind of advice do you could you give or what do you see the impact on these parents who are then trying to get uh, mortgages and all they have is child support or spousal support payments. I mean, how yeah. do they go about qualifying? Well, and that's that's a that's a really good question because um, there there's two parts to that, right? So you have somebody who maybe is the recipient of spousal support and or child support, and then you have the other part where maybe you have somebody who didn't work now they're returning to the workforce. When somebody has an extended absence from the workforce, you typically can't count any income from employment unless they've been employed for at least six months. Right. Okay. Now, the same thing is true when it comes to child support and alimony. You typically can't count that as income unless it's been consistently received for six months. And consistency is important because if it's sporadic and that income isn't consistent, you may not be able to count it at all, even if you have received it for six months. So consistency of receiving it for at least six months, if it's child support or alimony, then you you can count it. And then six months of employment if you're returning to the workforce. Now, with all that being said, 
you can run into the occasional lender like myself that has access to some products that may take timing that is less than that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had that with some of your clients right. where they didn't have those six months requirements, uh, but we were able to still get a mortgage done. Um, so there are times where there are some exceptions that may be, may be able to be accomplished, if you will, for a client. Uh, but the general rule of thumb in the industry is six months of uh, employment if you're returning to the workforce, six months of receipt of child support and alimony. And so those payments, you're actually looking to see when those payments were received by the the client, correct? Yeah, because if they're if they were receiving them inconsistently, you know, the child support and alimony, uh, you know, because I always tell people when it comes to income, you know, stability of it, right? Is it stable? Is it consistent? And is it likely to continue? Well, if it's not stable and it's not consistent, it's hard to know whether or not it's likely to continue. And if you can't put your arms around whether or not it's likely to continue, it's difficult to count that as income when you're qualifying somebody for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about the, the case where sometimes we do have to retroactive mm-hmm. child support um, orders. So if we were to be retroactive for six months, they pay in full that six months and then mm-hmm. start paying month seven and month eight, yep. would that be enough consistency? That, that would be one where, you know, we're, we're pretty common sense. That'd be something we would take, but I, I can't say every lender would take that. Yeah, I think some of those big box lenders and big banks here in town probably wouldn't. That's no. why it's so important to work with somebody like you to be able to think outside of the box and get yeah. the loans when we need them. Uh, in terms of credit history, what kind of yep. impact does that have on the process? Yeah, well, it, you know, here's here's where, you know, that if you're still joined at the hip, uh, that can really come back to impact you, right? Right. Because if the, the ex-spouse, um, you know, and I see this stuff where, you know, there's, Sometimes you know, it makes me question what's happening with their attorney because <laughs> sometimes you see things where there's a credit card that is in, let's say, the wife's name, but the, the husband's going to take responsibility for paying it. Well, what happens when he doesn't pay it? Mm-hmm. And, and or he pays it later. He doesn't, you know. There's it's not in his name. You know, <laughs> it's not like he's going to take the hit if if it, it doesn't get paid. Exactly, it, it's still in that person's name. And you have these, you know, they can have a huge impact on on your credit score, your ability to borrow. Your, you know, your credit score impacts multitudes of things, right? But it can have a really huge impact. Uh, so it's really important that you pay attention to those little details because sometimes, you know, with everything else that's going on, it's easy to miss a little thing like that. And then that stuff comes back to haunt you at some point down the road. What's the typical type of um, information, paperwork, you know, if, if we have to tell our clients, hey, you're going to go meet with Dan to refinance or get a new loan or whatever, I mean, what typically do they need to gather before they meet with you? Yeah, you know, generally it's, you know, proof of income, proof of assets. Um, you know, in the case where it's an active divorce proceeding, you know, do you have a settlement agreement? You know, what do you what do you anticipate is likely going to be the outcome of that? Because, you know, one of the things that happens when somebody is in an active proceeding, you know, one of the challenges is, you know, what what's this going to look like in the end, right? Because right. that final picture in the end, you, you may qualify for something, you may not. Uh, you know, so a good lender is going to ask a lot of those questions. But, you know, I always tell people the mortgage process is documentation, right? Mm-hmm. Trust but verify. <laughs> you know, you got to give me... That's our process too. <laughs> you got to you gotta give me everything, right? Right. Um, so that can be a little frustrating, you know, especially when you have a, you know, I have a spouse that maybe isn't the person that has usually dealt with money in, in financial things. Then it can be a little more challenging for them because they're, they're maybe not as familiar with this process. Uh, and that's where, again, working with somebody who knows what they're doing, they're going to kind of guide you through that and help you through that process. Right. Um, and I would think, too, that, you know, is it better to start earlier in the process to talk to you or is it better to wait to get that financial agreement 
settlement in place and then go talk to you? I mean, when's the best time for yeah, us to really send good question. somebody it, to you? It's better to start earlier because in all honesty, sometimes there are things you could do that would position you better to succeed in this process. And, you know, if you're doing it after the fact, the challenge is, okay, great, now everything's done. Right, how do you fix what's already done? How do you unring the bell, right? Uh, You know, sometimes you you can't, Uh, especially when it's a high conflict type of deal. You could have, you know, shot yourself in the foot, right? Yeah, that's all great advice um, and lots of um, information, some which I didn't even know. So that's great. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> yeah, this learning some, some well, one, one other thing, I, you know, this is uh, something that recently changed and I want to make sure I talk about this too. Um, and this is especially true for somebody who's maybe been through a divorce. Um, there's been a lot of changes to how alimony is treated right. in, in your guys' world, but there's, there's changes to how it's treated in our world too. Uh, it used to be when you would qualify for a loan, uh, alimony was counted as part of a monthly kind of debt. Um, where you know now what's happening is they're subtracting it from the person's income when they qualify. It actually is a much more favorable treatment when it comes to you know computing a debt to income ratio. Mm. So you could have somebody who is paying alimony that might have been turned down for a mortgage previously because of the amount of alimony they pay. Right. Um, but the way it's treated now, that person may actually be eligible for a loan. So there's there, that's a really big change uh, that's taking place probably over the course of the last two weeks. You think that's because of the tax treatment change in the alimony that occurred at the end of the year? Or what do you think that's generated um, you know, from? It's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, if you, the way, you know, you treat it for tax purposes, you'd almost actually do it the opposite way. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, you would. Um, you you'd, know, so you'd it's, think it's that. almost like, you know, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac got, uh, got to the party like a couple years late, right? Uh, but that's, uh, they're both now finally on the same page and they both do it that way. Um, I, you know, I wish I could, I could tell you the logic behind that one, but it, yeah, it's a knows? good thing. Yeah. It, it's a good thing for, for those of you who are paying alimony. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to even tell on the logic when we change the alimony, you know, uh, deductibility and income at the end of the year. I mean, how can you really explain that? It's been going on for decades and all of a sudden we just, boom, we change it at the end yeah. of the year. Well, yeah. So, yeah. and it impacts so many people. <laughs> well, Dan, we want to thank you so much for coming here today. We've learned so much from you and it's been uh, great for us to um, explain all these issues to the audience and to our clients. So thank you. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate working with you guys uh, and your clients. It's been a good thing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 